thank you, the children, for singing. I didn't even know today was Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And uh, <clears throat> when I see these precious children, uh, I uh, think of a poet written by uh, a poet named Charles Lamb. And he said, I love these little children, and it is not surprising that they who love they who are so fresh from God love us, and I think that speaks to the point. In fact, someone handed me a stack from Christian Heritage Academy. I uh, didn't even know they knew my name over there. I was um, on the original board, and I've even served as a headmaster as a temporary basis, and so I appreciate that, and I appreciate you as a church. In fact, <clears throat> this message grew out of my deep affection as I have grown to love you all as a body of believers. And so today I want to talk about what makes a strong church. For some reason, uh, my text did not get in the outline, but it's uh, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. If you get to 1 Thessalonians, you've gone too far. So we're going to read a few verses from Colossians 1. Let me say this. For those of you who pray, I hope you are already praying uh, for the war that has broken out in the Middle East. Um, you probably know this, but uh, in Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us that Israel is the apple of God's eye. Now, the Hebrew word really means pupil. Israel holds a special place in the plan, in the economy, and in the purpose of God. When you get to the next to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah, the prophet said that when an enemy attacks Israel, they attack the pupil of God's eye. Now, I don't understand all of that, but I do know that forever Israel has a special place in the heart of God. And uh, they're reporting that maybe 600 people have been killed. Now, if you do use that on a per capita basis, comparing our population to their population, which is less than 10 million people, that would be like us losing almost 20,000 of our citizens. I hope you have been praying this weekend that God somehow would intervene and that his will would be done. Let's go now and read the word of God. The Bible tells us in Corinthians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1, now, this is Paul. Now, this is a unique book. It was written to the church at Colossae, but it was also sent a copy to the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea is in Revelation chapter 3. It was the last of the seven churches uh, in Revelation 2 and 3. And Paul, under the guise of the Holy Spirit, said, Now I rejoice... And what was suffered for you, 
and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. The question is, what makes a strong church? The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, if that is true, and I believe it is, then the main purpose ultimately of the church is to glorify God in our worship, in our work, we are to glorify God. And so if you and I have any hope of glorifying God, then we must predicate our lives as believers generally and as a church specifically and I speak now to, about the Rocky Mount Baptist Church, but it applies to every church. If we have any hope of glorifying God in our worship and in our work, then we must be foundationed on the principles that are fleshed out and written down in the Word of God. I believe with all my heart that sometimes we confuse uh, a strong church and a successful church. When people look at a church and say that's successful, they usually are talking about counting nickels and noses. Nickels have to do with the money you collect. Noses have to do with the number who come. I'm not against that. I used to count nickel and noses. But the point of it is there can be a church that is very large but is not glorifying God. In fact, one of the very largest churches in America who on a given Sunday will have 30,000 in attendance is not glorifying God because they do not preach the gospel. It is a church built around the prosperity gospel and built around the personality of the preacher. So I submit to you, regardless of the size of the church, it ought to be the passion of every one of us to have our lives rooted and fleshed out of those principles that come from the Word of God. And so, if you will allow me, I'd like to share with you two or three principles that I believe will make a church strong. This church, Franklin Heights, a church I love with all my heart. But we need to understand that we cannot get away from the basics. Sometimes we move in a direction, but we forget 
that the very foundation of what it means to glorify God is to be obedient to the Word of God. So the first thing I want to mention, if we are going to be a strong church, biblically speaking, it is incumbent upon us to be willing to pay a price. And when I say that, I mean to be one who is willing to make a sacrifice for the body of Christ. Now, folks, that's not rocket scientists. Every young businessman or woman that I know in starting a business, which, by the way, makes up the the biggest uh, level of, of what we call capitalism, the small business, every business owner makes sacrifices so that business for he or her can prosper. A family will make sacrifices in order for that family to be strong. And so we who are members of the body of Christ, we must understand if we're going to be strong in the sense in which the Bible speaks strong or successful in the sense in which the Bible defines success, then we must be willing to make a sacrifice. We must be willing to pay the price. That's what Paul says, for I, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Now, keep in mind that Paul, before he was a Christian, was a persecutor of the church. And when by the grace of God he was reconciled to Jesus Christ, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he became one who was willing to even sacrifice his life. In fact, when he wrote Colossians, he was in prison. In fact, four letters of the New Testament, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, uh, are, are books that come from a prison experience. And so Paul is writing and he says, I, I want you to know, now he's not bragging on himself, but he wants them to know, in order for the church at Colossae to be strong in the sight of holy God, I want you to know it's taken a struggle for that to take place. For I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. And what Paul does now, as he talks about struggling, in fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. But then he goes immediately and reminds us that Christ is the one who has made the ultimate sacrifice for the church. That is the reason. With all of my heart, the new preacher that will come here and stand behind this pulpit and preach, it is incumbent upon him under the authority of the Word of God, under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to always be sure that this church does not forget the sacrifice Jesus made. In other words, you remember when our Lord, uh, in talking about remembering Him, he, he girded a towel, you remember, and became a servant. But 
He said, do this, and talking about the, what we call communion, do this and remember me. We, as the church, must not be so organized that we forget that everything we do is based upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It was Alvina Hall, that woman of the 19th century, and she was writing and she was talking about this. She said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. As an old preacher of the gospel, I want to always remember that what I am and who I am and what I do in preaching, it is because Jesus paid it all. Therefore, we who are of the family of faith, we must never forget to remember him. Jesus says, be sure you do not forget my shed blood, my body that I sacrificed. We talk about our salvation being free, and it is. Grace is free, but it costs God his only son. And he went to Calvary's, up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walked Christ my Savior, weary and worn. Oh, folks, we who are the people of God. May we never get so sophisticated that we are ashamed to say, as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We who are people of God, you might want to ask, well, pastor, what, what, what does all this have to do with the local church? I'm, I'm talking about if we're to be a strong church, then we must be willing to make a sacrifice. You who are in business, you know what I'm talking about. You don't know anything about a 40-hour work week because you work more than that. Those of you who are, who, who are committed to your family, you make sacrifices for your family. You precious mothers, mothers of those children that left us to go to children's church, when they're sick, you give them your undivided attention. You make sacrifice and you don't even complain about it because rooted in the heart of that mother and father is an unconditional love. You would die for those children. And so we ought to know that if we're going to be a strong church in the sight of God, then it's going to take people like you willing to make a sacrifice. Not just spectators, but those who are participating in the body life of the church. Paul in Philippians 3 had a lot to brag about. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In terms of the legalism, I was a Pharisee. And he says, I have a a stellar lineage that I could point to. But he said, I have become a servant. That's, that's what he says. He said, he said, I'm lacking nothing in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of the body. And then in verse 2, he said, I have become its servant by the commission of God. Folks, we don't, 
we don't like to talk about servanthood today. I, I preached in a lot of churches. And I must confess to you, and I, I guess maybe that uh, in our woke culture, this is not proper, but uh, everybody wants to be a chief. Nobody wants to be an Indian. I mean, we're living in a, in a day when the idea of, of what our Lord did, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, in order to sow his servanthood, girded himself with a towel, got on his knees, I believe, and, and washed the dirty feet of the disciples. He was a servant. He came to do the will of God. This man who left the magnificent glory of a heaven and came down and took a form of a sinful flesh, although he never sinned. But the point of it is, he was a servant, and God needs servants. In fact, I, I have reflected on my life as a Christian, and, 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 and while I love preachers, I do, I love preachers. We've got two or three, three or four here today, and I'm always a little intimidated when you preachers show up but I'm going to press on. The point I'm trying to make is, is we, we need to know what it is to be a servant because the people that have impressed me in my life, and my wife and I who's sick today, uh, what, what has impressed me the most is not a bunch of preachers, but it's people who come and love God and serve and and do the best they can. And they come, and as one dear friend of mine, they don't get paid nary nickel to do it. They do it because they love Jesus. And I thank God for you who do that. And it has been my good fortune at Franklin Heights and in other places to see people because they know Christ, because they're willing to become a servant, because they love the Lord, they, in the name of the Lord, that they come and they serve. And what God wants today is people who will serve. I, I heard 40 years ago, I don't know if it's true now, maybe it's not, that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. Now, I don't know if that's true, but if this good church is going to be the church that glorifies God, the church that remembers the sacrifice Christ made, it will be a church that is willing to gird itself with the towel of servanthood and love Jesus and serve others and become the hands and feet of Jesus. But secondly, because my time is going, but I'm going to keep you here until I get through. I'm going <clears> to <throat> land this plane late. The second thing is that we need people who pray. I'm not talking about people who believe in prayer. I'm talking about people who pray. If I were to ask you today, do you believe in prayer? Everybody raise their hands. I, I, I mean people who know that there is a God who listens to prayer. You see, Isaiah said many, many years ago, my house shall be called 
a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching, a house of prayer. And folks, what the world needs now, Bacharach said is love or whatever it is, but what the world needs now in our critical state with war in Eastern Europe and a budding war in the Middle East, God's people need to pray. Because God hears our prayer. Oh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us we must pray, and then he taught us how to pray. And in Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples, and he said, men ought always to pray and not to faint or not to give up. And I know that most of us in our lives have come to the place sometimes where we want to throw in the towel and give it up. But Jesus says, don't do it, pray. Because it is that connection with God Almighty. It is that connection where we can lay hold the horns of the altar and however our position is when we pray, we can believe that we have the ear of God. The arm of the Lord is not shortened that he cannot save, and the ear of the Lord is not deaf that he cannot hear. Thank God that he hears us when we pray. I say to you today that what this church needs is people who pray. I have a lot of books on prayer, but that did not make me a prayer. And I've been introduced when I've talked about prayer, and I believe God has led me to a place uh, where I might be out of kindergarten when it comes to the school of prayer. But I want you to know, folks, there's something when you get on your knees, however you pray, you, you need to understand three things about prayer. Prayer is worship. We are worshiping God when we pray. But I want you to also know that prayer is a war zone. You read the book of Ephesians and the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we are in a work war zone. He says in Ephesians 6, and he speaks of our struggle. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world and against the forces, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Folks, mark it down. When we pray, the devil hates it. He does not want God's people to be able to lay hold of the altar of God He'll leave a weak, non-praying Christian alone. But let Christians come together and be able to come into the presence of God. Then God will do something. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. We need prayers, folks. You said you're old. You just keep saying that. But it's true. We need to pray for our precious little children. Folks, the devil is after our children. 
We need to understand that. He will destroy it through social media. He will infiltrate their mind with all kind of evil. I tell you to you today that prayer is worship, but you're entering a war zone. And thirdly, it's work. It takes time and discipline. The Bible says, discipline yourself unto godliness. You know, people will exercise and run, and that's good. I can run a quarter of a mile. I used to. Most I've ever been able to run was four miles. And you can do all that stuff, lift weights, run, eat vegetables. And somebody says the difference it makes is whether your funeral's at 11 o'clock or 3 in the afternoon. <laughs> point I'm trying to make, Christian, is that if we believe in the discipline of our physical bodies, we are told in Scripture to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And maybe in a Baptist church that's not a good word, but I believe it's a biblical word. economy of God, he wants us to live lives that reflect something of, of his character. We, uh, prayer is worship, it's warfare, it's work. You say, preacher, I struggle in prayer. Well, welcome to the club. There was about a year or so ago, and I'm not going to tell you about my prayer life because you, you'll get the wrong idea, but <clears throat> there are two times that I have a designated time each day to pray, two times. And then during the day, I think I have learned something about what it means to pray without ceasing. And um, I notice that at night when I get on my knees, and I'm not saying you have to get on your knees, but I like to get on my knees at night. And, and I was, my mind was wandering, and, and I just wasn't able to connect and I said Lord you've got to help me because here I am praying and I'm thinking about something else and then I believe the Lord led me to this verse I wrote it down I memorized it but at my ripe old age if I tried to repeat it to you I'd mess it up so let me read it to you this is in Romans chapter 8 mark it down underline it if you don't have it borrow your wife's lipstick underline it Romans 8, 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Right now, according to the Word of God, the precious Holy Spirit prays for the saints. Boy, that's something. When I'm discouraged, when my heart is aching, when I want to worry about something, we've got the Spirit of God praying for His children. Amen? I've got one more thing to say. Let me just say one thing I, about this prayer. I'm just not saying this. I, over the weekend, I'd been praying about something. Been praying about it a lot. This morning, got a telephone call. And the person who talked with me, 
had no idea about what was on my heart. But what that person said to me, it was God answering a prayer in my life. This morning before I came to church. I, uh, you say, does God answer all your prayers? No. Well, he does. Sometimes he just says no. Sometimes he says you just got to wait. But you just keep praying. And I want you to know, folks, I, I, I believe prayer is important. And I'd been praying. Uh, there's a young lady at Franklin Heights. Her, uh, she was nine years old when I retired. And um, I'll make it up to you next week. Um, <laughs> she was nine years old when I retired and I, I just knew her name that's about all I knew And she's 24 now and <clears throat> several years ago she got some kind of rare disease and her mother said we've had her to 12 different specialists and it is so bad she can't even hold down a full time she's a college graduate and, and God laid her on my heart, and I, and I pray for her every day. Every day I pray for that young girl. And I happened to be by the church the other day for something, and, and, and she happened to be there. And she, I didn't even see her. I heard her call my name, and she came out. And, and she said, Pastor, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for praying for me. Folks, in all of my years of ministry, I've only had one person to say they did not want me to pray for them. He was a man, hardened, served our country in the Marine Corps, turned away from God, and I asked him, can I pray? He said, no. And I didn't. Folks, prayer is important. And I want to say one more thing. I, I'm going to, I, I promise you, I'm going to. We need people who are committed to the local church. I, I believe the church is important. This church is important. Every church that belongs to the Holy God is important. And we need to be devoted to our church. I, I, I watched football on Saturday. And one reason, have you noticed how those college students, they go crazy. I mean, they paint themselves, and, uh, and, and I laugh because, boy, they're committed. And we need people in the church who are committed. Folks, the church is important. God put his stamp of approval on the church. He said, I will build my church. And we need, as the people of God, to believe that the church is just not some little thing that man created, but it was purchased by the blood of Christ, and we need to be committed to it. I want to tell you something. God will do far more with a few who are committed and willing to sacrifice than about a thousand who are just have a passing interest. We need to be devoted. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea who have not met me per 
uh, personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. Why is this church important? Because the Bible says we ought to pray for one another. We ought to encourage one another. We ought to love one another. We ought to forgive one another. We ought to edify one another. Folks, there's a lot out in the world to discourage us. The church is where we come to find help in our time of need. So let me just sum up by saying, if this is going to be a strong church, it must be a church that's willing to pay a price. It must be a church that's willing to pray. It must be a church where we're willing to devote ourselves. Devotion, I looked it up in the dictionary. One who commits him or herself to someone or something. Oh, may God give this church those three characteristics. Oh, Father... I thank you for the church. Lord, you saved me when I was just a kid. And I think I can honestly say, Lord, that I've loved the church because there's where I found people who love me. And even when my parents didn't darken the door of the church, I knew that there were people who loved me. God, this church needs them a pastor, and I pray that you would Give this church a pastor. Oh, Father, I love you and I love these people. And I make this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen.